today uh, we begin my favorite season of the year, and that is the season of Advent. Now, I know, as John said, there are two types of people here today. There are the, the people who believe that Christmas does not begin until after Thanksgiving. So no Christmas music until Thanksgiving, until after Thanksgiving, no, no decorations. You don't put your tree up. You don't, it's until Thanksgiving is over, Christmas is not around. Now, how many of y'all are like that? How many of y'all are Christmas after Thanksgiving only? All right, me too. I, I'm a Christmas after Thanksgiving only. Then there are those of you who are Christmas is whenever you feel like it. You'll listen to Christmas music in August. Uh, April is that type of person. Now, how many of y'all are Christmas whenever type of people? Just Christmas is all the time. Doesn't matter. You're going to celebrate. You'll decorate uh, before Halloween if you feel like it. It doesn't matter. It's all the time. Now, it doesn't matter which one you are, whether you're a before Thanksgiving person or if you're right and righteous and after Thanksgiving only, like the rest of us. Uh, but the season of Advent is, is a very special time. Uh, now, I, Advent is my favorite time. Now, when I say that, I mean Advent, the season of Advent is my favorite season, not the season of Christmas. There is a difference. Uh, Christmas, to me, is hectic. It's, it's stressful. Uh, it's, it's expensive. You know, you got to buy the perfect gift for everybody. You got to do the elf on the shelf. And whoever came up with the idea of elf on a shelf, they're not going to heaven. How many of y'all have done the elf on the shelf thing? It is, it is, oh my goodness, it is, you have to come up with a, a new thing for that stupid elf to do every day until Christmas. Last year, I thought we had it made. I thought, well, you know what, it's COVID. We'll just tell, tell the kids that the elf is quarantining uh, for 21 days, and I only got four days to worry about it, but they didn't buy that. So, but, you know, to me, Christmas is, is kind of hectic. It's kind of expensive. It's, it's a lot. Uh, now, I love their traditions. I love making memories. And me and April, we used to, when, when the kids were a little younger, we would do, you know, every tradition we could think of. We'd take them to see Santa. We'd bake the cookies. We, we'd do all this stuff. And, man, we were running ourselves ragged until several years ago we decided we're not going to do anything that the kids don't want to do. So if the kids don't ask to do it, we're not going to do it. So if the kids don't ask to go see Santa, we ain't going to see Santa. If they don't ask to bake cookies... We're not going to spend days baking cookies, ruining the kitchen, being covered in flour for something they don't want to do. Now, they still have their traditions they love to do. They love to go get the Christmas tree, cut down the real Christmas tree the day after or the weekend after Thanksgiving. They love to decorate it together. They love to read the Christmas the night before Christmas uh, on Christmas Eve. We like to watch. Our tradition is we watch the Polar Express Christmas Eve before everyone goes to bed. And so they do enjoy those traditions. And I, I love those traditions. But to me, Advent is more than that. Advent is more than traditions and family time and buying presents. Advent is a time to remember what Jesus did for us and to remember his promise that he will return to receive us one day. See, Advent literally means coming or arrival. And 
as 21st century believers, we are, and I say this every year, we are living in the in-between time. We are living after Jesus has come the first time as a baby in a manger to live a perfect, sinless life, to die on the cross in, in our place, to have the wrath for my sin and your sin poured out upon him, to take our punishment, to die and rise again, to redeem us to God the Father. That's already happened. And so we remember what he did, but we also remember that when he left, he said, I will come again. I will come and receive you to myself. And so we, and during the Advent season, we remember what Jesus did when he first came and we thank him for his first arrival because without his first arrival, there'd be no salvation. There'd be no hope. There'd be no joy. There'd be no love. There'd be no peace. But we also remember and look forward to his second coming. When he does, first of all, come to receive us, but again, like we said last week, the second coming of Jesus isn't the rapture. The rapture is where we go to him. The second coming is where Jesus comes as the conqueror he is, as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords, and sets up his throne on earth. And so we say, God, thank you for coming the first time to save us. And God, we look forward to your second coming. We look forward to when you will make all things new when you will restore the world to what it used to be. That's, that's what Advent is. It's a time of remembering, remembering what Jesus did and remembering his promise of what he is going to do. So if there were ever a time that we as believers should be thankful for the gift of Advent, for the gift of his first coming, for the promise of his second coming it's now it's been a rough couple years can we all agree with that these last couple years have been kind of hard there's been a lot of disappointment there's been a lot of anxiety there's been loss there's been turmoil there's been stress there's been pain and so looking back joyfully to what Jesus did and looking forward, hopefully, to what he's going to do is needed now more than any other time. Advent traditionally begins with looking at hope. The hope that Jesus brings. Now, hope is something that, the hope of Advent is something that really can't be shaken. The hope of Advent is something that we, we cannot lose, that will not let us down. It is, it is hope in something greater than ourselves. It is hope in Jesus. Now, hope is important because your hope determines your joy, not happiness. Happiness is not important. And you're like, what? How can happiness not be important? Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is based on your circumstances. Happiness is based on how good you feel one day. Happiness is based on that, that raise you got or that, that good news you received or that, that thing you, you were able to purchase that you've wanted. So happiness is based on your circumstances. So when your circumstances are good, you're happy. 
But when your circumstances aren't great, you are not happy. So happiness and joy are very different. Joy is, is permanent. Joy is something that we as believers have despite our circumstances. We see it all through the Bible. We see it in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the apostles, the followers of Jesus, right after Jesus has ascended, they've received the Holy Spirit. They've gone out and they've, they've preached Pentecost. They're seeing thousands upon thousands of people saved every single day. The religious elite, uh, they, they arrest them, they bring them before them, and they beat them and tell them, stop preaching Christ or we're going to kill you. And they leave rejoicing. Who rejoices after getting a beating? Nobody. It makes no sense. Oh man, I just got beat severely and threatened and I am so joyful. It makes no sense. But that's what Jesus does for us. He gives us joy that cannot be shaken. So I don't want to be happy. I don't want you to be happy. I want to have joy. I want you to have joy. And we have that by living in the hope of what we know to be true, the hope of Jesus. Now, hope has been assaulted lately. Hope is something that the entire world is struggling to find and struggling to, to really sink their, their teeth into. And one of the reasons is because we have uh, what Tim Keller calls counterfeit gods or false idols. Now, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he says that there are two types of idols in our life. There are surface idols and there are source idols. Now, the surface idols are what we, we think true idols are, you know, lust, anger, jealousy, all these things that we struggle with, the, the things we are constantly going to God, what we call our besetting sins, or maybe it's our, our entertainment or whatever. These are, are what we consider idols, but he says those are just surface idols. They're not the real issue. They are a symptom of the real issue. They show a deeper issue, which is our source idols. And there are only four source idols. There are Comfort, power, control, and approval. And when we put our hope in these source idols, we're always going to be let down. You know, we live in a culture that is designed for comfort. Everything around us is designed to make our lives easier, make our lives more comfortable. Make our lives something, you know, we can relax and rest in. But, you know, we, we long for pleasure. We long for ease. We, we, every one of us wants to enjoy a good life. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a, a good life and having kind of comfort in your life. I'm not saying that if you want to be a, a good believer, you got to go home and sleep on a bed of nails and, you know, don't have air conditioner heat and live a miserable, comfortless life. No, there's nothing wrong with that unless that's where we put our hope. Unless our hope is in us living a comfortable life. Putting our hope in approval. Another source idol. If your, your, your hope is wrapped up in being approved and being accepted by people, you're going to have anxiety, you're going to have stress, you're going to be constantly stressing whether or not you 
make everybody happy. And look, here's, here's a, a, a truth you need to know. You will never make everyone happy. Ever. You're going to disappoint someone sometime. If you're trying to make this person happy, this person's going to get upset with you. And look, that's a lesson I had to learn as a pastor. You know, I've been, I've been pastoring now for 11 years, and I had to learn I'm not going to make you all happy. I can't. Because if I'm, if I'm doing something to make Danny and Trudy happy, well, then Lewis and Lucy are going to get mad at me. So I'm going to make Lewis and Lucy happy, but then, then, then Princely gets mad at me. And I'm running around trying to put out all these flowers trying to make you all happy. So here's what I decided several years ago. I'm going to make Jesus happy. And if that makes you unhappy, that's not my problem. That's your problem. But I can't make everybody happy. So if my hope is in, oh man, I hope everyone in the church is happy with me and I hope they're, they're satisfied with me. I don't want anybody to be upset. I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be stressful. I'm not going to have any joy. I'm not going to have any hope. So you can't put your hope in the approval of men. Uh, can, if you put your hope in control, then you're also not going to have any hope or joy. Because look, control is, I want to make sure everything turns out the way I think it should. Control is an illusion. You can't control anything at all. Well, I can control how safe I am driving down the road. No, you can't. Because there's some idiot who's texting and driving and speeding that steals that control from you. So if you're like, my hope is in control, you're not going to have any hope at all. You can't control anything. It doesn't bring hope. You know, control is an illusion. What about power? Power is wanting success, wanting to win all the time, wanting to have everyone look up to you. If you put your hope in power, then again, you're going to be disappointed because when you lose, you're going to feel humiliated. It's not going to bring you joy. It's not going to bring you hope. It's going to leave you angry. So, no matter what you struggle with, you're like, man, my struggle is with, is with, with watching too much TV or, or not putting God first or it's lust or jealousy. Whatever your, your struggle is, that's not your idol. One of these four things are your idol. Control, comfort, power, or approval. If you need any of these, you're not going to have hope. So what God has for us in a relationship with him is unwavering hope no matter what we go through. So I want you to look in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> We're going to start reading in verse number 19. Bible says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good work. So again, we're talking, we're starting the Christmas season, and you're like, man, this is, we're supposed to be in Luke chapter 2. What does this got to do with, with Christmas? Again, we're not, we're not celebrating Christmas. We're celebrating Advent. 
which just happens to be at the same Christmas season. We're celebrating Advent. And this passage, it shows us where our hope is during this Advent season. So where is our hope found? Number one, the, your hope is found in the fact that you are known and you are accepted by God. Look what he says again. Boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. What, what the Bible is telling us there is as a child of God, as someone who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, I am known by God and I am accepted by God despite the fact that God knows me. See, there are no secrets between you and God. There's nothing hidden. You can hide your struggles. You can hide your sins from, from everybody else. You can hide it from us on Sunday mornings. You can hide it from your spouse and your kids. People have been perfecting, hiding their sins for centuries. So you can hide your sins. You can hide, you can cover your tracks where no one knows the true you. Here's something you need to understand. God knows the true you. God knows your sins. God knows your secret thoughts. The things that you would never let anyone else think, know that you think. Those, those wicked and vile thoughts that you're ashamed of. God knows them. And even though God knows you as you are, God accepts you. God loves you. Not because you're deserving. Not because you're worthy. But because the blood of Jesus has washed away your sin. Because once you've been saved by grace, once you've accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as payment for your sins, when God looks at you, he doesn't see a wretched, vile sinner. He sees a child of the king. He sees you as righteous as Jesus. Your secret sin, God knows. Your secret shame, God knows. And despite knowing you as you are, he accepts you. That is huge. See, we were created to be with God. We were created to fellowship with him, to, to worship him, to be with him for all of eternity, but sin separated us. But the Bible says here that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the confidence that we can boldly come to God. See, God sees you, God knows you, and God loves you, and God welcomes you into his presence. Outside the presence of God, there's no hope. Because if we are trying to please God in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own righteousness, we're going to fail. Because the Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. We all fall short of God's glory. So you say, man, God accepts me because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a deacon or I'm faithful to church or I give the most money to the church or I do this and that. God doesn't accept you because of any of that. God accepts you because you accepted his free gift of salvation or God doesn't accept you at all. Our hope is in Jesus. The fact that he came, he lived, he died, and he rose again for us. 
Because of him, we are sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. You cannot out sin the grace of God. We are welcomed into his presence because of grace. He washes you clean. He sprinkles, the Bible says he sprinkles your heart clean. He frees you of an evil conscience. He washes you clean and you're welcomed in his presence. That is where our hope is found, not just during this season, but all of our life. That because of his life, his death, his resurrection, we are accepted by God. We are known by God. That's where our hope is. No matter what we've done, if we've accepted his gift of salvation, he accepts us and welcomes us into his presence. So when the terrible things happen, and even after salvation, God tells us, and and James, he goes, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You know, I'm, I'm real big about, I, I like to study the original language. I want to see what the original Greek and the original Hebrew meant because again, we're, we're reading uh, an ancient text that is translated into a language we don't speak anymore from a culture we don't live in anymore. So I want to see, okay, what did it mean in the original? What was God trying to get across then? And when you study that, that verse where it says, you know, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just, it doesn't mean if you confess your sin one time, he'll forgive you the first time, but the second, third, fourth, fifth, you're on your own. It means when you come to God with any sin, even the one you keep committing over and over and over and over and over again, and you humbly come to him and say, God, I was wrong. You are right. I sinned against you. He will forgive you every single time. He will cleanse you every single time. No matter what we are done, we've done, when we confess and accept his gift of salvation and we confess and accept his forgiveness, we are welcomed and accepted in his promise, in his presence. When we do, when terrible things happen, which let's face it, usually when bad things happen in our life, it's because we've done something stupid. So when bad things happen because of our stupidity, we can take it to God, we can get grace, we can get forgiveness, and we can be accepted. Hope is found in knowing Jesus and knowing that even in when you're hurting, even when you're suffering, Jesus has accepted you, he's with you, he's never forsaken you, he'll never abandon you, that because of his finished work on the cross, we are known and accepted by God. Where's the second thing our hope is found this, this Advent season? The second place it's found is in the fact that God is always faithful. You are known by God, you are welcomed by God, and you are wanted in his presence. And that is right there, the fact that you are known, welcomed, and desired in the presence of God is, is incredible, but no matter, but also tells us that no matter what, God is faithful to us. We, even when we are not faithful to him, God is faithful to us. See, when we look to Jesus in the manger, 
where the Virgin Mary gave birth to the Messiah. We, we look at him in the manger because he is the embodiment that God is faithful to us no matter what. Second Corinthians 1, the Bible says, for all the promises of God in him, in Jesus, are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So all the promises that God has given us, we find in Jesus. Can, can our sins be forgiven? Yes, we see that in Jesus and the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us. That God died on the cross and allowed God to pour out the wrath of sin on him for us. We see in Jesus, yes, our sins can be forgiven and we can be saved. Do we feel abandoned by God? No, we can look to Jesus and his promises that said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Yes, I'm going to sit at the right hand of God, but I will come again to get you one day. Does God care about your sin? Does God serious about your salvation? Yes, we can look to Jesus and see that. Our hope is in and our hope is in the promises that God has given us, and those promises are fulfilled in Christ. See, when we look to Jesus in the manger, and we look to Jesus during Advent, and we see that when when things are great, God is with you. When things are bad, God is with you. God is always faithful. He will never leave us. He will never abandon us. He will never betray us. He will never destroy us. God is for you. We can see that in the life of Judas. Now, we, we all know the story of Judas, one of the 12 apostles of Jesus while he's on earth, and he comes, he betrays Jesus. He sells him out for 40 pieces of silver. And he comes to Jesus the night that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying to God, praying so, so fervently that, and so stressed about what he was going to have to endure that he's sweating drops of blood. And Judas comes to him and betrays him with a kiss. And Jesus didn't destroy him. Jesus didn't bring down all the power of God to smite Judas. Jesus looked at him, and I believe with heartbroken eyes, said, you betray me with a kiss? With the act of friendship, you, you betray me? He didn't condemn Judas. Judas made his own decision. Judas chose to reject Jesus. Jesus didn't reject him. Judas made a choice. Even when he's being betrayed, he, he was faithful and wanting Judas to repent and accept him as the Savior. God is always faithful. And that truth that God loves you, God accepts you, God wants you to be in his presence, and God is always faithful to you, it gives us hope. It brings us peace that unsaved people don't understand. It brings us joy that the unsaved world finds peculiar. Because no matter what we're facing, if we realize where our hope is, we can still have true joy. See, the God, the gift that God has given us, even in difficult times,
is that we have hope in Jesus. Our hope is in the truth that he came for us. He came as an innocent child. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He completely fulfilled the law. He died in our place. He took our punishment, died and went to the grave and rose again three days later. Our hope is in the truth that he came to redeem us, but our hope is also in the truth that he's coming back for us one day. Our hope is not in the comfort of this world because your comfort is going to fail. Your hope is not in the approval of man because people will let you down. Our hope is not in control because we don't have any control. All control is in God. God controls everything. We control nothing. So your hope can't be in control because control is an illusion. Your hope can't be in power because if you're hoping and in power, then you will always suffer disappointment. Our hope is an advent. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus came for us because he knows us, because he accepts us, because he loves us, and he is always faithful to us. Our hope is in the truth that he is coming back one day to bring us to him and then returning to earth to set up his kingdom where we can rule and reign with him for all of eternity. Jesus is never wavering. Jesus is always certain. So here's what we need to ask ourselves as we begin the, the Advent season. Are you putting too much hope in source idols? It's a, what, what idol are you putting too much? Are you putting hope in control? Are you putting hope in your comfort? Are you putting hope in the fact that you hope you get power one day? Are you putting hope in the approval of man? Now, we all have one, one or two or all of these source idols in our life. And what we deal with, how, what we put our hope in shows when we respond to stress. Do you struggle? When you're facing stressful times, do you struggle with the truth that you are known and accepted by God? Do you struggle with the truth that God is always faithful to you even when you are not? See, pain makes us doubt that God loves us. Pain makes us doubt that God is faithful to us, that God accepts us, but God knows the real you. God loves the real you. God accepts the real you, and God wants the real you. So we can, we can come to God repentant, humbly, and he will forgive and accept us no matter what. See, our hope this season, it's, it's not in stuff. It's not in, a, it's not in family. It's not in money. It's not in anything that the world brings. Our hope this year is in Jesus. It's in the fact that he came. He lived a perfect life. He died in our place. He rose again to redeem us to God the Father. And he's promised to come again. That's where your hope is. Your hope again, it's not in stuff. Stuff's going to fail you. It's not in people. 
people are going to let you down. It's not in position. Positions can come and go. Our hope is in the Savior. Let's, we're going to pray. I'm going to have Trudy come. We're going to spend a little bit of time this morning before we light our candle, just thanking God for the hope that he gives us. Just thanking God and telling God, Lord, because hey, look, we can, can, we can come to God and confess and say, God, my hope's been in other stuff. And it's let me down. So God, right now, my hope is in you. And thank God for the hope that he gives. So let's all stand together as Mr. Trudy begins to play. If the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart, just talk to the Lord in your seat. You can come forward and talk to the Lord. Just thank God for the hope of Advent. Thank God that our